Lord, again, we come to you this morning. There's so much for us to pray for. There's so much for us to be um, heartbroken over. But Lord, this morning I ask that you will help us to focus on your word. Help us to, to, to hear what you have to say for us, Lord. Um, get all those other distractions and, and everything else out of the way so that you can speak to us clearly, that we can hear you clearly. Uh, and Lord, I just ask that you will give me the words to say. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we are continuing our sermon series in Acts called Jesus' Mission Continues. And this is a look at disciple making in the early church. And we want to know what lessons we can learn from the early church to apply to our vision of worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning we're, we've gotten all the way to Acts chapter 14 and we're going to hit verses 1 through 7. And we see a mixed reception of the gospel. We get to see um, uh, three truths about how Paul shared the gospel. And we see that Paul had a system that Paul was bold, and that Paul never stopped. Again, this passage shows us three truths, about how, how, mm, three truths about how Paul shared the gospel. He had a system, he was bold, and he never stopped. So we'll go ahead and get right into that. Um, if you remember, I, I've been kind of coming back to maps here as, as we get into Paul's missionary journeys. He started in Antioch, and that's where we get this uh, red circle over here. He started in Antioch and he traveled down to the island of Cyprus and across the island over to Paphos. And that's where they were opposed by a magician named Elymas. But, um, you know, the Holy Spirit blinded that magician, magician and the proconsul of that city believed. And then they traveled up back to the mainland and then up to Pisidian Antioch. And this is where Paul gave his sermon that we studied last week. And we saw many Gentiles come to faith. Well, this week they're going to travel over to a city called Iconium. On the map it says Konya. Uh, that is the modern Turkish name of the same city. Uh, this is a city that is still there. Iconium, that we see the, the name that we see in the Bible, is the Latin name for that city. Konya is the modern Turkish name for it. So we're going to go ahead and get right into it, and we're going to start in verse 1. <clears throat> it says, In Iconium they entered the Jewish synagogue as usual and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So it says that he entered the synagogue as usual. He entered the synagogue as usual. So this shows us that we're starting to see a pattern. For when Paul goes into a city, when he enters that town, he starts at the synagogue. Last week... Um, Sorry, last week, one of the main sermon points was that we meet people where they are. And this is one way that Paul is doing that. He's able to go to the synagogue and meet with lost people where he knows lost people will be. But also, he's able to go into the synagogue and meet them uh, philosophically where they are. Because Paul and Barnabas both understand the uh, Jewish worldview. And so they can uh, bring the gospel to them in a way that these people will understand. But also, and we don't see this in the Bible, and so I don't know for sure, but I, I think it just sounds very pragmatic, very practical, that as Paul goes around to these different Roman cities, and see all these, or a lot of these different Roman cities had temples to different gods, different pagan gods. And so as he's going to these cities, he could spend some time there in the synagogue and get to know the city before going and, and, and bringing the gospel to the Gentile population there. <clears throat> Like I said, I don't know that for sure, but it just seems like it would make sense. Um, <clears throat> sorry. So we see that Paul is starting to have a system. But it says that he spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Now here's the question. What is this way that Paul is speaking that so many people would believe? Wouldn't we love to know? You know? But you know, I don't think there is that any secret super way to share the gospel that, that's going to have 
all these different people believe. There's, you know, we're always looking for that secret sauce or, or the perfect gospel presentation where everybody's going to hear it and understand it and believe. But we're not shown that. You know, we want to know a way where we can share the gospel where we will see a great number of both Jews and Greeks believe. You know, over the years, we've seen many different uh, ways to share the gospel. Over the years, we've, we've taught many different ways to share the gospel. You know, there's been faith. There's been evangelism explosion or Romans Road or the Evangelball or the Evangicube. Or now I use faith or I use uh, three circles and the story. But here's the thing about it. All of those are good. They all work as a way for us to share the gospel. But what, what we need to do is find one and become comfortable with it. Become comfortable enough with it where we can use it as a conversation guide instead of having a presentation. People don't want us to talk at them. They want us to talk with them, have a gospel conversation with them, and not give them a, a gospel presentation. <clears throat> so my suggestion is to pick one. You know, like I said, I really like the three circles and the story because I'm comfortable with them and I know them well enough that I can weave them into a conversation. I can have that gospel conversation without having to keep referring back to my notes. Now that was one of the complaints that people had about Evangelism Explosion was that there was so much to memorize. It was almost like a big script that you had to memorize. But I know people who have used Evangelism Explosion effectively to share the, to share the gospel. You know, with faith, you've got five different talking points to remember. And some people say, well, it's too much like a, a canned presentation. But again, I know people who have used the faith gospel witnessing tool to effectively share the gospel and see people saved. You know, my, so my suggestion is to pick one, learn it well enough that you can be comfortable with it and where you can weave it into a gospel conversation. So what I want to do is share with you again the three circles. You see, God designed, God created the whole universe and he created us because he loves us. And he created us to be in relationship with him, in perfect relationship with him. Another part of that was that he created us to be in perfect relationship with each other and the rest of creation. But we look around us and we see that all those relationships are broken. And why is that? That's because of sin. And sin is any time that we uh, go against God's will for our life. That can be not doing what God has told us to do. It can be doing things that God has told us not to do or having sinful thoughts like lust or envy. And that leads us to a place of brokenness. We see evidence of that brokenness all around us. You know, with the flu that's going around right now, it's so strong. I do think that's the effect of sin. Not necessarily any one person's sin has caused them to get the flu, but as a human population, our collective sin causes these different diseases. Or it could be natural disasters. These are evidence of, our, of brokenness. Our sin has caused creation to, to, um, to be broken. And so people try different things to work their way out of brokenness. We see legalism. A lot of people will try to earn God's favor. You know, in the New Testament, we read about the Pharisees who added all these laws and you had to follow all these laws to, be, to earn God's favor. That hasn't gone away. People still try to do that. You know, or you can have people who try to earn enough money where they can fix their brokenness and they can buy enough things where they don't feel that brokenness anymore. Well, that doesn't work. Or sometimes people just get so overwhelmed with all the brokenness that they want to hide that pain. They want to they become numb to that pain and so they turn to alcohol or drugs. 
But all of that just leads back to more brokenness. But God loved us so much that he sent his son. And his son, Jesus, lived that perfect life for us. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He lived a sinless life. And he went to the cross to take the punishment that we deserve for our sin. And when we repent from our sin and believe in him, then we are free to recover and pursue God's design. When we put our faith in Jesus, then our relationship with the Father is restored. Our relationship with each other can be restored. And that's when we talk about recovering and pursuing God's design. We do that in a community of other believers. All of us becoming closer to God. All of us becoming more like Jesus and having our relationships with each other reconciled. And so that's the three circles gospel presentation. You know, I'm comfortable with that. I can, I can pick up on that conversation anywhere in those three circles or in the transition between the circles. I can weave it into a conversation. And the thing about a gospel conversation is you don't have to give the whole gospel story every time. You know, you can talk about just a part of it and how it applies to somebody's life right then. That's why it's so nice to have these ongoing relationships with people so that we don't have to try to force the whole gospel conversation into one conversation. We can have the, the different parts of a conversation and then at some point we, we can put the pieces together with them. But my point is that there's not necessarily one right way to share the gospel. It's, it's however you are comfortable with. When it says Paul spoke in such a way that many people believed, I think Paul was sharing the gospel in a way that was real to him, in a way that he understood, in a way that he was comfortable with. So what we need to do, or, or sorry, we see that Paul had a system for sharing the gospel with a city. You know, he had a place and a people group that he would start with, and he was able to talk about the gospel in a way that he was comfortable with and that people understood. So what do we do, taken back from that? Well, we can create a system or a plan for sharing the gospel, right? One of the first steps in creating a system or a plan for you to share the gospel is to pray for the lost people around you. Pray for the people around you who you know are lost. Pray that God will be working in their hearts before you ever have that gospel conversation so that they will be willing to hear it and hopefully willing to believe it. We pray that God will break our heart over their lostness <clears throat> so that we're not complacent about their lostness. Pray that God will reveal to us that if they don't believe in Jesus, they are going to hell and that should break our hearts. And so that gives us our motivation, part of our motivation anyway. We pray that God will open the opportunity to share the gospel with them and we pray for them specifically by name. Pray for them by name, regularly. So pray for the lost people around you. That's what I suggest to be your first step in developing a strategy for sharing the gospel. Secondly, would be to pick a tool and become comfortable with it. Like I said, I like three circles and the story, but there are many of them out there. Three circles, a story, faith, um, evangelism explosion, Romans Road, there are a lot of them. And they all work. But I think the best tool that we can have, and I didn't I just say earlier there's not a best way, but I do think there is a best way. I, I guess maybe I, I, I should have thought a little better through that, a little more through that. The best way for us to share the gospel is in our testimony. What God has done for us and what he is continuing to do through us. That's a really good way to share the gospel and it makes it real. It helps us to understand it and it helps others to see it in our lives. The third Set goals for sharing the gospel. You know, you can start small, but evaluate along the way. 
And if you fail to meet that goal, don't beat yourself up about it. You know, analyze why you failed. And if you can do better, then strive to do so. Or if you need to re, uh, readjust your goal, then do so. And like I said, uh, as a church, our goal is 200 gospel conversations in the year of 2018. At the end of the year, I hope that we can go look back and reevaluate that plan and set a goal for 2019 that we don't even understand right now, that we can't even imagine right now. All right. Third or fourthly, analyze your routines. You know, what are the places where you go where you could be more intentional about building relationships for sharing the gospel? Where are places that you don't go that you could go where you could build those relationships? And that's the main reason why I stopped cutting my, my own hair and started going to the barbershop. So I could build a relationship with people there and start to share the gospel with them. You know? I heard it said um, in one of my podcasts earlier this week, and it kind of it convicted me a little bit. You know, if, if we call ourselves Christians, so these are people who follow Christ. If we follow a Jesus who is never in a hurry, why are we always in such a hurry? We need to allow time in our life to stop and have these gospel conversations with people. We need to make sure that we're, we're leaving room in the margins of our life where we can have those gospel conversations and not have to worry about, am I going to be late for my next appointment? Finally, don't become legalistic about it. Don't become legalistic about your plan to share the gospel. God does not love you for your plans and your goals. I'm saying that again. God does not love you for your plans and your goals. And he doesn't love you because you do certain things. God loves you because he is a good father. And you, believer, are his child. It's that simple. God doesn't love us because we share the gospel. God loves us because we are his child. So we don't create the system to share the gospel, to earn God's favor. We have a system of sharing the gospel because God loves us. And in response to that, we want as many people to know about that love as possible. All right, so let's review. I said this passage shows us three truths. The first is that Paul had a system to sharing the gospel. And next we get to see that Paul was bold in the face of opposition. So I'm going to pick up in verse 2. It says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord, who testified to the message of His grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and others with the apostles. So we see that there are some who, sided, or who, um, some who were against the brothers. So we see Paul and Barnabas meeting opposition again. You know, they saw opposition at their previous stop in um, Pisidian Antioch. The Jews there went to the city officials and had Paul and Barnabas exiled from their city. Previously, you know, before that, they met opposition on the island of Cyprus with the magician called Bar-Jesus or Elymas. Um, he strongly opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the, the truth. And since this is not a new phenomenon, I will restate my points from previous sermons. You know, speaking the gospel is spiritual warfare. And so spreading the gospel is actually our job in this warfare. And when we are doing that job, the enemy doesn't like it. He will fight back. So we can expect to find opposition when we are spreading the gospel. You know, we've been fasting for the month of January, looking for God's plan to share his story with our community, looking for God's plan to share his love with our community. And in that time, we've had quite a few of our congregants get sick. Or other things that are happening in their life. I, I think that is a possibility. This is because we are under attack. It is spiritual warfare. And the devil sees that we as a church are trying to get on God's plan to take 
his gospel to our community and he doesn't like it. So he's attacking us. I don't know that for sure, but it's a possibility. Um, and so what I said in a previous sermon is that we don't fight spiritual warfare physically or philosophically or intellectually. We fight spiritual warfare spiritually. We surrender to the Holy Spirit and we let him fight those battles for us. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, our congregants who are getting sick, I, I'm not saying that they should just, just pray about it. You know, just surrender that flu to the Holy Spirit. That's not what I'm saying. Um, but what I am saying is that, yes, they go seek, they go to the doctor and they seek help with that, but also to continue to pray, to continue in, in joining us in our fast, continue to seek God's will. Don't give up on it. Next, we see that they stayed in that city a long time and spoke boldly. Even though there were those who were opposed to them, they stayed there and they spoke boldly. Even in the face of opposition, they didn't flee. They stayed there as long as the Holy Spirit told them to. And they were speaking boldly. You know, this implies that they were allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through them. This is not Paul and Barnabas speaking on their own, uh, their own intellect. They're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through them. See another sign that the Holy Spirit is working through them? I've got that highlighted box, but right after that it says, For the Lord who testified, or they spoke boldly for the Lord, and it was the same Lord who, who testified to the message of His grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. So we know that they were speaking, they, they were speaking through the power of the Holy Spirit because God is there showing them, uh, testifying to their witness through signs and wonders. It was the Lord who enabled them to do so. And then we see that the city was divided. You know, they did not reach all people in the city, even with their boldness, even being surrendered to the Holy Spirit, they did not reach all of the people in that city. Some rejected the gospel. You see, unfortunately, in our attempt to share the gospel, not everyone will be saved. No matter how well we do, no matter how good of a job we do in glorifying Jesus, no matter how hard we work at it, not everybody's going to be saved. No matter how long we stay with them, some won't be saved. Or no matter how bold we proclaim the gospel, some won't be saved. And no matter what proof we give, some people still won't believe. That is unfortunate, but it is, a, it is a true reality. Some people will never place their faith in Jesus. But as I said before, it's not our job to save people. It is our job to glorify God. And we glorify God by spreading the gospel, by sharing His good news with others. We do that. We glorify God by making disciples. Seeing others saved is only part of that. The other part of that is helping other believers to become more mature disciples, being in relationship with others so that we are all growing to be more mature believers. So if you look back at the three circles, this would fall under the recover and pursue portion where we're helping others to become more mature believers or even where we're um, taking the gospel to others to see them saved. We are recovering and pursuing God's design. Remember, God's design was that we would all live in perfect relationship with Him, that we would all live in perfect relationship with each other. That's not going to happen without the gospel. So as we're sharing the gospel with others, we are recovering and pursuing God's design in our life. Now, even though it's not, or sorry, even if it's not our job to save people, it still hurts when they reject the gospel. Because we know that it is that failure to place one's faith in Jesus, which will send people to an eternity in hell. Now, this should break our hearts. It breaks our hearts because we love people and we don't want to see them in hell for an eternity. In John 3.16, uh, God tells us that He loved the world so much 
that he would send his son to die on a cross. So this love that we feel for lost people, it's God's love. God loved, God loves all people. And he sent his son to die for all people. He took the punishment for our sin. And if we have faith in him, we won't get the punishment that we deserve, but we will spend an eternity with God in heaven. Now, if you have not believed in him yourself before today, then why, why delay? What's holding you back? Okay. If you've not put your faith in him, do so today. Call out to him for forgiveness of your sins because he's already paid that price. Put your faith in him because he is the perfect Lord. He is the perfect father, the perfect king. And he has made a way for us to have our relationship with him reconciled through our faith. So let's review. Paul had a system. Paul was bold. And finally, we see that Paul never stopped. We read verse five. It says, when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they found out about it and fled to Lycaonian towns of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding countryside. There they continued preaching the gospel. It says they fled. So why did they leave? Well, the obvious answer is that the leaders of the city were trying to have them killed. They were going to be stoned. So they left. But I think a better question for us to ask would be, why did they flee when others have stayed? Well, see, we see at the, the end of chapter 7, Stephen stayed and he was stoned to death. We see at the beginning of chapter 12 that James stayed and he was martyred. And we're told by church tradition, so not in the Bible, but church history tells us that both Paul and Barnabas would be martyred at a later date. So why were they scared of martyrdom here, but not later? Why would they flee here and stay later? Well, see, I don't think it's because they were scared. I don't think they fled this city because they were scared. I think they fled because the Holy Spirit told them to. You see, if we look at Paul and Barnabas' actions leading up to this point and following this point, there's nothing to suggest that they would be unwilling to die for the gospel. Looking at their behavior before this point and after this point, we see that they are surrendered to the Holy Spirit. So why did they flee? The Holy Spirit led them to. Their ministry wasn't over yet, so God told them to go to the next town. So how do I know that God wasn't done with them? Well, look what it says at the end. It says they continued preaching the gospel. They go on to the next town and keep sharing the gospel. Even after being chased out of the last couple towns, they keep sharing the gospel. They keep doing it. Even after their life has been threatened, they keep sharing the gospel. So how does this really apply to us? See, believers in this country, we don't really face the threat of martyrdom. <clears throat> Most of us don't face the threat of being killed for our faith. It does happen sometimes, but it's not a regular occurrence in our country. So how does this apply to us? You see, like Paul and Barnabas, we're supposed to be sharing the gospel. And when we do, we will find opposition. And at times, it will be strong opposition. See, some people will respond to the call of the Holy Spirit in faith, like some people did in this town. And then others won't, just like in this town. Some people will need more time and more conversation how do we know if we're supposed to spend more time sharing the gospel with them? Or how do we know if God says, you know what, they're just going to reject the, the gospel. It's time to move on. That sounds harsh. It sounds cold-hearted. But like Paul and Barnabas, it wouldn't have been good for them to stay there. Sometimes for us, 
It's time for us to move on to the next, the next conversation. It's time for us to move to the next person and continue to share the gospel. So how do we know? Well, like Paul and Barnabas, we need to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. When we are, he will tell us if we are to continue to focus our evangelistic efforts on this person or if it's time to move to another. For Paul and Barnabas, it was time for them to move to another town. We have to realize that sometimes it's not conducive to our witness to stay and to continue to argue with someone. We just need to move to the next person. You know, like Paul and Barnabas, if they had stayed, their witness would have ended. But since they fled, they were able to continue their mission. Now, before we close the sermon, um, sorry, I just lost my place. Before we close the sermon, you know, we need to address Paul's motivation here. This whole time, we've looked at how Paul shared the gospel. But we never looked at why. Looking at the how he shared the gospel makes for a nice practical sermon. But we never looked at the why he shared the gospel. And I don't think it's, uh, it's genuine to the author's intent if we ignore that. So the author, the human author being Luke, or you know, God who inspired him, it's not genuine to the author's intent if we ignore the why behind Paul's mission. It's more important for us to talk about why Paul shared the gospel. You know, it's not, we don't need to necessarily look at why he had a system or why he was bold or why he never stopped, but why did he do it to begin with? What caused Paul to go from a full-hearted hatred of the gospel to its biggest missionary? It was that he met Jesus and surrendered to him. He met the creator of the universe and believed in him and believed in the sacrifice um, for Paul's righteousness. See, Jesus came to receive the judgment that we deserve, and he died to pay the penalty for our sins. All who believe in Jesus, who put their life in him, and they, put, they have faith in his life, death, and resurrection, all who accept him as Lord will have eternal life. As long as you still have breath in your lungs, it's not too late to accept that. So if you haven't done so before today, today could be the day that you find forgiveness, the day that you find a loving father, and the day that you find eternal life. You see, Paul, what motivated Paul was that he met God and fell in love with him. And it was out of that love that he went on these missionary journeys. It was out of that love that he shared the gospel. It was God's love that drove Paul from town to town to town sharing the gospel. You see, Paul's not the hero of this story. Jesus is. Jesus took Paul from church persecutor to church planter. Jesus put, uh, took Paul from trying to extinguish the gospel to spreading the gospel. So we get to our application. And so we want to know um, what lessons we can learn from this passage to fulfill our vision of worshiping God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we look at three categories, knowing, being, and doing. So that first part is knowing. Know Jesus. Know that he died for your sins because he loves you. And know what Jesus has done in your life. Know what he continues to do in your life so you can share it with others. The second part of that, being. Be in love with Jesus. We can't effectively share Jesus' story if we are not in love with him. Believer, if you feel that love waning, meditate on what the gospel has done in your life. Meditate on what Jesus' life has done for you. Remember that God loved you and chose you as his child before you accepted him while we were still rebelling against him. Now the doing portion of this, this, is, this comes in two parts. So the first part of doing, if you have not done so, put your faith in Jesus for salvation. 
Secondly, if you have already done that, so believer, let Jesus' love flow out of you to those people around you by telling them about him and what he's done for you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, Lord, I just thank you so much. I thank you for all the blessings in our life. I thank you for all the, the times that you've been there for us, even if we couldn't see you right away. Lord, I thank you that you love us as your child, that you chose us to be your children. Father, I pray that you will help us to surrender to your will. Help us to, to take your love to those around us who don't know you. Help us also to take your love to those around us who do know you so that they can become more mature believers. Father, I pray this morning that you will help us to surrender this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we've come to our uh, point of response. You can come and pray at the cross. You can come to the front and pray with me, or you can stay in your seat and pray. But please do not ignore the calling of the Holy Spirit this morning.